Our passage today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. I'm going to invite you to stand, please, just for this one verse. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17. I'm reading from the New International Version. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's short. So let me read it one more time. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. All right, I do feel like preaching today, Uncle Michael. And so uh, let, let show of hands, who's going to help me preach a little bit this morning? Show of hands, who's going to help? Okay, thank you. I'm going to take you up on that. From this, uh, from this one verse, I'm going to preach this morning from the title, There is Freedom. There is Freedom. I want you to imagine with me for just a minute being an enslaved person in Texas at the beginning of another long, hot summer in 1865. Now, given the state's relative distance from the rest of the divided nation, and given that Texas itself had seen very little action during the Civil War, it had been relatively easy for plantation owners and enslavers to hide the news of the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been signed by President Abraham Lincoln two and a half years earlier. And so despite that federal proclamation of freedom, these enslaved women and men toiled under the old status quo of bondage and terror. Imagine with me for a moment being an enslaver and having heard that proclamation of freedom and choosing to cover it up. Here were people who understood that liberation had come and yet who willfully and purposely did all they could to obscure and withhold freedom from those who were dying for it. The freedom about which the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth was a freedom from the bondage of the law. God had given his covenant law to his people as a template for their flourishing. And yet, as we often do, the people had focused on the law not as a sign of God's covenant love. Instead, they devoted themselves, in Paul's words, to the letter of the law. They made keeping the law a sign of their righteousness, and it quickly became a deadly burden, captivity even. The good news that Paul taught in this passage was that the Holy Spirit brought freedom from the condemnation of the law. Amen? Amen. In Christ, we see through the condemning letter of the law and find instead the covenant of love and freedom that God always intended for us. Now, let me tell you something about God's freedom. It is comprehensive. It is total. It is all encompassing. For example, 
in a passage that Jesus would one day borrow for his own mission. The prophet Isaiah's vision of God's freedom is this. It's good news for the poor. It's liberty for the captives. It's release for the prisoners and comfort for the mourners. The freedom of God rebuilt ruins and renewed cities. It involves inheritance and the restoration of ancestral land, and it is marked by everlasting joy. The freedom of God is comprehensive. And it is true that we have the capacity to turn something like God's covenant love into a letter which condemns. But do you know that God's desire for our good is so good, so total, that nothing but our total freedom can quench God's desire? So on this Sunday, when we remember the news of freedom which finally reached those enslaved image bearers of the living God, news which had been delayed but could not be denied, it's worth spending a few minutes with God's character of freedom. The enslaver could not hold back freedom's cry. The flesh trader, the kidnapper, the powerful men who had turned human plunder and exploitation into the nation's most profitable sector, none of them could turn back that freedom word. The most that their pitiful power could do was to slow it down a little bit. History tells us that when that transformative freedom word reached the now freed women and freed men, some simply walked away, never to return. Others negotiated a wage. In one documented instance, a man named Jordan Anderson, having left the plantation, wrote to the man who had enslaved him and included a reparations bill. <laughs> He'd added up the long hours he and his wife had worked, and he figured out that he was owed a cool $11,680, enough to bankrupt his old enslaver. Spouses and parents who had been separated from each other, stolen from each other, began the search to be reunited. These women and men built schools and churches and elected hundreds of black representatives to every level of public office. How many of you know that freedom changes everything? And the Apostle Paul in this short verse reminds us this morning that where the freedom of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, there are always those who would seek to hinder the Spirit's freedom. Sometimes the foe is visible and obvious. One who enslaves, one who exploits, one who plunders. Other times the foe is more subtle. A heart which condemns. A memory which captures. Deeply held assumptions which conceal the Spirit's freedom fruit. Scripture tells us that we have a common enemy, an enemy who desires our demise, an enemy who despises our freedom. But our Lord Jesus Christ is near, even in those oppositional places, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so this morning, I'm asking us to remember one simple thing. Freedom prevails by the Spirit's presence. Can you repeat that after me? Freedom prevails. I said repeat after me, not at the same time as me. Freedom prevails by the Spirit's presence. All right, just y'all in the luxury boxes in the back in the shade. Just you all this time. Freedom prevails. Come on, come on. You're in the shade. You got to have some energy by the Spirit's presence. Everybody, freedom prevails by the Spirit's presence. Amen, amen, amen. In other words, despite the existence of sin and evil in this world, and yes, in our hearts as well, God's freedom will prevail. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is present. I hope I'm preaching to a couple of you already this morning. I'm still in my introduction. The incarnate Son of God who walked the Galilean hillsides hundreds of years ago is now manifest by His Spirit in and among His followers everywhere. So freedom prevails by the Spirit's presence. Now, I use that word prevail intentionally, persevere, outlast, prevailing, persevering, overcoming, it assumes opposition. You don't have to prevail if there's no opposition, you can just coast. But freedom prevails. The Corinthians felt condemned by the letter of the law. Those black Texans remained captive after emancipation because of the opposition all around them. And Paul says to us, do not be deceived. Freedom is here because Jesus is here. The condemning voice is loud, but Jesus triumphed over the condemning voice. The accusing voice of Satan can be persistent, but Jesus triumphed over the condemning voice of Satan. The temptation that creeps up in our mind can be loud and distracting, but do you know that Jesus triumphed over temptation as well? The schemes of the enslavers were brutal. The plots of violent men were depraved. The complicity of an entire nation built on stolen land and plundered bodies was total. But Jesus raised in victory over enslavers and lynchers and the the powerful watchers on who washed their hands in a show of innocence, all the while trafficking in subjugation and suffering. Jesus triumphed even over those deceptive manifestations. When Jesus was hung from that crucifixion tree, the powers and the principalities thought that they had finally prevailed. The forces of evil were under the delusional impression that the divine hand which had restrained their worst impulses had finally been removed. What was it that Jesus said to his disciples before his crucifixion? Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Why? Why? Because having returned to the Father, Jesus would now send his very presence, the Holy Spirit, onto all who believe. And so rather than eliminating Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus has now been poured out on all flesh, on all who believe. There is exponentially more Jesus today than there was then. 
there is exponentially more freedom today than there was then. Because the spirit of the living God, has, come on, that's got to be good news to three or four of us. The spirit of God has been poured out. Again, there's always forces of evil, spiritual forces, working to obscure God's freedom. The freed black women and men were faced with one deception after another. Enslavers who, who tried to keep them captive. Governments which failed to compensate them with the land they had been promised. White mobs who attacked black citizens as they voted. The, the more of their freedom they claimed, the, no, the more violent and, and devious were the attacks to conceal and dismantle that freedom. And, and so I don't think it's any accident that at many of the early Juneteenth celebrations, the Statue of Liberty was prominently featured. It was a reminder to everybody looking on and participating of the liberation that was the freed person's birthright. Neither was it an accident that at these celebrations, there was often a reading of the Emancipation Proclamation. All persons held as slaves shall be then, thenceforth, and forever free. And the executive government of the United States will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or act to repress such persons or any of them in any effort they may make for their actual freedom. Anybody think some of our, our elected officials need to reread the Emancipation Proclamation? In response to the deception of captors, oppressors, and enslavers, these citizens stood boldly in their freedom. No matter what the liars said, they were free and they intended to live their freedom publicly. Which for me at least begs the question, do we see this kind of freedom around us today? I know that we see people fleeing violence on our southern border. We see gun violence in our own city. We see consistent instances of hate and violence against our Asian American neighbors. We could go on. We need to admit that our situation is radically different from those Texans who had to wait over two years for the news of their liberation. But if we can be honest today, it can be difficult for some of us to see freedom's advance. It can seem to some of us as though the forces opposed to freedom are more powerful than God's desire for the flourishing of his entire creation. Do we see freedom? Let's admit that there are some who do not want to see freedom. Some believe that more freedom for you means less freedom for me. There are people in our city and our suburb who have secured enough success and enough stuff for themselves that they have turned away from somebody else's struggle and suffering. Some of us struggle to see freedom. There are young people in our neighborhoods who see no roadmap to a free and flourishing life. They've experienced far too much loss already. It's worth asking honestly this morning that if God's freedom prevails, why is it that we don't see more of it? Why is it that some of us struggle to see freedom? 
So let me point us again to this verse. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Is it possible for some of us that that in our struggle to see freedom, we have forgotten that the experience of freedom, like the rest of our discipleship, is a matter of faith and not sight. Now, let me be very careful about what I mean and what I don't mean. Jesus said in John 3 and 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see, the joyful proclamation that the Spirit brings freedom is also a gentle invitation to see what Jesus sees. To see what Jesus sees. If you'll remember, Jesus was surrounded by very powerful people. People who wanted his attention, who wanted him to spend time with them. Powerful people, religious leaders, soldiers, kings, representatives of the empire. And yet, where did Jesus spend most of his time? Where did Jesus focus his attention? But on the margins? While others planned for freedom by way of bloody revolt, Jesus was calling for a kingdom of righteousness and peace, calling it into existence beyond the gaze of controlling and violent power. So Jesus raises a little girl to life, and freedom takes a step forward. Jesus heals a, a forgotten blind man's eyes, and, and freedom takes another step forward. Jesus sees the woman separated from her community and she restores her and, and freedom takes another step forward. Jesus silenced the condemning religious leaders with their condemning letter of the law and freedom takes another step forward. Jesus gave himself over to bloodthirsty and violent men, men for whom freedom was a threat and not a promise, a curse and not a blessing. Jesus, the freest person in the universe, became captive for us and our salvation, for us and our freedom. And, and in that moment, freedom didn't just take a step forward, freedom leapt forward. Do we see freedom? Ask yourself right now, what, what does Jesus see today? What does Jesus see around me today? I wonder if you see people getting free as they give themselves to Jesus. I wonder if you see people getting free as their marriages and relationships are restored. I wonder if you see volunteers gathering each week to water and weed the Jackie Robinson garden, getting to know our neighbors. Will you be among those volunteers in a few weeks when they start harvesting and distributing with our neighbors? I wonder if anybody heard about our friends at Southside Blooms who actually grew during the pandemic. They're now growing more flowers on more abandoned lots, employing more young people in our communities, producing more local honey. And on July 1st, they're opening up their first storefront in the heart yeah. of Inglewood. Yeah. 
I wonder if you see the state of Illinois being the first state in this country to eliminate cash bail. Do you see freedom? Do you see what Jesus sees? Can I suggest to you this morning that Jesus sees young people who are being mentored? Jesus sees overly incarcerated people walking out of prison with their freedom. Jesus sees brothers who have too much money giving some of their money away to brothers who don't have enough money and sisters who have access to the halls of power opening the door for a sister who's never been there before. Do you see what Jesus sees? Jesus sees people getting free because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, now maybe some of us are still struggling a little bit with this. I know we, we maybe have a few cynical people among us, a, a few people who are, aren't quite sure if Jesus is still bringing freedom today. So, so let me switch the question just a little bit. Where is the spirit of the Lord not. Show me, show us the place in God's creation where the spirit of the Lord is not present. Show me the group of people among whom the spirit of the Lord is not present. Show me the circumstance, show me the moment, show me the season that was too painful too unjust, too wicked for the prevailing spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Was there ever a debt so debilitating, a grief so great, a lament that lasted so long as to overcome the spirit of the man of sorrows, of the God who is acquainted with grief, of the son of God who suffered on our behalf? Was there ever a place or a people so forsaken that they could overwhelm the forsakenness of Calvary. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And can we shout this truth over our city this morning? There is not a single square inch of this creation where the spirit of the Lord is not present. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit of the living God. Open our hearts. Help thou our unbelief. Let us see what you see. Show us your freedom. Believing in faith that the spirit brings freedom opens up some creative and courageous new ways for us to live right now. Think again of those black citizens in the years following the Civil War. They were legally free. But white people regularly oppose them, often violently. This is actually one of the reasons, one of the dynamics, which makes Juneteenth such a significant holiday. Because back then, each June 19th, African Americans would gather publicly in their cities and towns. And that day would often begin with a, a, a worship service where the, the church would ring its bells loudly for everybody to hear. And then they would move into a parade through the city's major thoroughfares before ending in a public park for a time of, of food and festivities. And when the, the white dominated town councils tried to stop these celebrations, and you know they did, the wealthier members of the black community, such as Robert Church in Memphis, 
purchased land so that nobody could stop these visible demonstrations of freedom. I believe this is an image of God's freedom for us. You see, we don't simply believe that God's freedom prevails. We live and we seek that freedom. Those citizens who gathered in public spaces, knowing that their very presence, their, their very constitution agitated the racists. Knowing that the white citizens council and the Ku Klux Klanners were, were looking on, the, these men and women were not content to just think about their federally sanctioned freedom. They, they didn't want to just hold the freedom in their hearts. They didn't want to just start their mornings in their Bible meditating over their private experience of freedom. They didn't have a, an ideal version of freedom that they could, could put up on their wall to point people to. No, those, those early Juneteenth worship services and parades and, and public celebrations, these were not just commemorations of the past. They were a proclamation of freedom into the future. This was a testimony to everybody paying attention that freedom is always meant to be lived and experienced. Holy Spirit-empowered freedom is not an abstraction. It's not a theological concept for us to think about. God's freedom works its way into us. It changes how we see the world around us. But, this freedom also ensures that we will prevail. We will endure. We will persevere. If God's freedom endures, you had better believe that God's beloved free people are going to endure as well. We can hear in this conviction. I'm reminded of Dr. King's last words in his final speech speech, his final sermon at the Mason Temple in Memphis in 1968. Many of you have, have watched this, I'm sure. He ends by saying, I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. Listen to what he says. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Think again of Isaiah's freedom proclamation. The one Jesus would one day apply to his own life and ministry. The reason those promises rung so powerfully was not because they were a beautiful articulation of liberty and freedom. No, the, the reason they were so powerful is that they were spoken first to people who were desperately in need of a lived experience of freedom. The poor were ready for the good news. The brokenhearted were ready to be put back together. The, the captives were ready for liberty. The mourners awaited their gods comfort for, for those who grieved and anticipated the day when their mourning would be exchanged for joy, their despair for praise. These were a people whose cities had been laid waste, whose walls, which had symbolized its security and prosperity, had been torn down. 
These were a people who needed far more than a description about freedom. They didn't need a theory about freedom. I promise you they didn't need a sermon about freedom. They needed an experience of divine freedom which would enter into their situation of captivity and allow them to endure through it to freedom. This is the word of God which Isaiah spoke to a besieged and a beleaguered people. It was an active and an accomplishing word. It was a word that would prevail. And I wonder how many of us today understand that this is the word our world needs right now. Sisters and brothers, you have been set free by Jesus. I want to know what are you doing with your freedom? Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what is it? that people who have been set free by Jesus do? What do people do who understand that where the spirit is, there is freedom? What do people do who can stand in the midst of the rubble of captivity and condemnation with an unshakable conviction in the prevailing nature of God's freedom? What do free people do? We seek the freedom of everybody else. We could say it this way, free people, free people. Now, I know that this has been a difficult season for many of us. Our losses have been great. The grief represented just in this space is significant. The opposition that some of you have faced has been very, very real. So we might wonder, do we actually have the ability to peer through all of that and find Holy Spirit freedom breaking in? Do we have the energy, do we actually have the energy to be agents of freedom ourselves? To proclaim the saving and the liberating gospel of Jesus to those who've been bent down by the letter of the law, to those who have yet to hear the gospel of grace? Do we we have the courage actually to stand in our freedom against the spiritual forces of evil whose lies have infected our systems and societies? Do we actually have the courage to stand in our freedom against the powerful interest in our day bent on disenfranchisement and disinvestment? It's worth asking. So I want to end simply by reminding you of this. That the Holy Spirit of God, who is himself, Freedom everywhere in creation is the same spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit of God who animated the saints who have gone before us. The women and men who had every reason to believe that their captivity would be permanent and who yet lived and breathed and planned and agitated for freedom. That same spirit is alive in you. And so because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, freedom is upon you. Can I say it again? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, freedom is upon you. And so through you, anointed child of God, filled with the Spirit of freedom, good news will be proclaimed to the poor. The brokenhearted will be restored. 
Through you, captives will be freed and prisoners released. Through you, the Lord's jubilee will be announced to everybody who's got the ears to hear. Through you, child of God, mourners will be comforted and those who grieve will exchange their spirit of despair for a crown of beauty. Spirit of the Lord is upon you, so the freedom of the Lord is upon you today. I wonder if we could end simply by putting our hands together for the God of freedom today. Could you open up your mouth today, thanking our God for our freedom? Could you testify? I know some of you doing the golf clap, but some of you today have known freedom. Some of you need to get up on your feet this morning and testify with your whole body that God's freed you, that God's put you back together. Don't be shy. Come on, don't. I don't care who's around you right now. God's done something in you. God's done something through you. There's freedom in people around you that there wasn't before. You've seen the Spirit of God do something powerful in your life. You've seen the Spirit of God do something powerful in your community. And so we thank God today. We praise God today. Spirit of the living God, we ask for more of you today. We ask for more of your freedom today. We ask that you would pour out more of yourself on your people today. We choose to believe today by faith and not by sight. That your Holy Spirit is even now, like in Genesis, hovering over the entire creation. Pouring out your freedom everywhere. Give us eyes of faith to see. Some of us have gotten distracted. We've paid attention to the loud voices. We've, we've paid attention to the glittering images. And we've missed. We've missed the way your spirit is even now bringing freedom all around us. But today we say we want to see it. We want to see what you see, Jesus. We want to align our lives with yours. We, we want your spirit in us to be aligned with what you're doing and bringing freedom all around us. We want what you want today, Lord God. We want to see what it is that you see. So put us back together where we're not living as your free people. Turn us around. Heal us. Speak the truth to those places that have believed the lie. Give us the courage. Give us the courage to stand in places where the opposition is great, where the lies are thick, where the powerful people have claimed total authority. Give us the courage to stand in those places and proclaim your freedom. To live as, as people who, who have been set free for all of eternity by our Lord Jesus. Oh, you are good. You are so good. You are so kind. In you is freedom and is life. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, even now, keep speaking, keep moving, keep doing what you need to do in our lives. Empower us that we would be sent from here, not under our own strength, not delusional to think that we have any capacity to bring freedom on our own, but with a faith to see that you are at work all around us, that your freedom is crashing into the places of condemnation and captivity and that we get to alert the world to this beautiful fact. You are good. You are good. You are good. Your word is true. Your word will endure. And your word will accomplish the freedom that it set out to do. We will be, we will be those who testify to it today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Push your hands together for our good God.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah.